This is Breaking Through, a podcast brought to you by iMeg iStyle and L. In this podcast, we will take a dive into the tech startup ecosystem in the Netherlands. We'll explore what it takes for tech startups and spin-offs to get off the ground and become successful. Enjoy this episode. Hi, this is Breaking Through, a podcast brought to you by iMeg.nl. In this podcast, we will explore the tech startup ecosystem in the Netherlands. We'll explore what it takes for tech startups and spin-offs to get off the ground and become successful. What support is available to help them develop and what are best practices? We'll take a deep dive into the world of student tech entrepreneurs and researchers that are working on their spin-offs and the incubation programs that support them. What's working and where can it be improved for the better? Today I have with me my co-host Bart Nedersen, who probably is one of the best, uh, if not the best coach for deep tech startups and spin-offs in the Netherlands. This is season two, episode one of Breaking Through. Today's topic is all about the academic researchers becoming an entrepreneur. So let's say you're a PhD student working on your thesis and you reach a breakthrough in your working innovation, one you feel can have great impact and that you would like to share with the world. Where do you go from there? How do you bring your breakthrough from idea to product? How do you jumpstart your entrepreneurial journey? In this episode, we'll talk to David Januzzi, who has done just that. We'll discuss what it takes to go from researcher to entrepreneur and how you bring your idea into a working prototype, the next phase. So David, could you please introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. Uh, well, I'm Davide Iannuzzi. I'm a professor in physics at the FU Amsterdam, uh, where I also serve as a chief impact officer. And uh, indeed, a few years ago, I was not a PhD student, I was an assistant professor. I, I made a little discovery, let's say, in my lab. It was not really a discovery. I invented a new device. And uh, I invented it for a quantum physics experiment. And uh, I always say that uh, that experiment was of interest for possibly 10, 12 people in the world. But the device that I invented, uh, it looked to me it could have a lot of uh, applications beyond the experiment I uh, invented for. And that's where the valorization uh, knowledge transfer process started. I was very young, uh, well, with respect to today, and, um, and, and I didn't know how to do it. So the first thing I did is I looked around and checked whether there was a technology transfer office who could help me with patenting. I mean, my, my idea was I patent it and then I sell the patent and I'm done. And then uh, actually the transfer office was just, you know, starting to, to offer their services. And um, yeah, and indeed the first thing we did was indeed to patent it. And then, you know, it, we started a very long story of uh, trying to find uh, people who could help bring in this technology to market. And it was very much a technology looking for an application rather than a market-driven uh, 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 adventure. What happened after was, uh, was that uh, in the first four years, actually, uh, after the invention, is uh, we had to go from a prototype that only the most skilled PhD students of mine could use. Um, we had to move that beyond uh, a prototype and, and making it such that other people could use it. And uh, that took four years. After that, I met, uh, I met a serial entrepreneur. And that was the key uh, element of the whole story. His name is Hans Brauer. And uh, the two of us together decided to start the company Optics 11. 
Uh, the first three years was a lot of work to, to make it uh, really into, into finding actually that market, the market where we could make a difference. And, uh, and then we started really to grow we started with a bootstrap. Then after, after three years, we, we got the first venture capital in, uh, and now, nowadays the company counts some 100 employees, um, and, um, it's active all around the world. It's done great. Um, before diving in, uh, David, I, I would like to create some sort of a backdrop of, for the discussion of today. Um, we recently learned that the Amsterdam Delta, according to research done by Startup Genome, is, has become the number one startup ecosystem in Europe, number 14th in the world. Uh, I think congratulations are in, uh, in place. What Can we expect a bright future ahead of us, or do we have some challenges? Can we even climb higher? Oh, well, first of all, it's very good news, of course. And uh, um, I think actually I, I'm, I want to look at this result as a sort of a step in the between. I believe that the universities have to do a lot to uh, still, let's say, um, exploit the full potential that we have in our labs uh, and you know, being able to bring those, that potential to, to society eventually. Uh, so it is good news, but there is a lot of work to be done to make sure that we have more startups, more successful startups, and especially that we go beyond what I'd like to call the lifestyle business of a startup. So there are some researchers who are happy when the startup has some like, something like 10 employees and they stop there. And in my opinion, it's a waste. Uh, if the technology can scale, we have to make it scale because that is a real impact. Uh, a startup with 10 people is not a real impact most of the time, of course. So, so there is a lot of work uh, ahead of us, and uh, um, but but we are on the in the right direction. Let's say. Okay, thanks, Davide. Um, if I if I may interject, uh, sure. th does does that mean we have to raise our ambition level? Well, I think I think so. I'm not much uh, from the let's say um, uh, government side. Uh, the ambition is clear there. Mm -hmm. It's more for our researchers. Our researchers should be more ambitious, and uh, and of course should also understand that uh, if they want to have real impact, most of the time they need to have business people on board, people who know how to bring new technologies, new ideas to market. Uh, if it stays an academic team, most of the time, and again, it's not always like that, but most of the time, um, you're not going to exploit the full potential of the idea or of the image. And how did you go about finding that entrepreneur that could help you move forwards? Was that a, an easy journey or did somebody guide you along the way or put you in touch? It was certainly not an easy journey, and I see this uh, in many startups I have coached after after mine. Um, finding the right person, the right entrepreneur, uh, or the right initial group of people who could bring the technology further is probably one of the most difficult steps. Um, there are not many people out there uh, who are you know, willing to take the risk and, and who have done it before and who have the, 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 the possibility to do it. And um, there are a lot of people who pretend they're good, but mm -hmm. they're not. So uh, it is difficult. The way it happened with me is simply that uh, our technology transfer office put me in contact with Hans, uh, who, you know, luckily in that moment of time was looking for a new project and for a series of new projects. And we liked each other and we started. So, but, but I recognize that that is one of the most difficult steps. So perhaps what we need to do parallel to encouraging our researchers to be more entrepreneurial is also for more entrepreneurial entrepreneurs of yeah. that kind, like yeah. Hansman. Yeah. And give them also more opportunities, right? I mean, 
maybe trying to uh, decrease the risk that they might have in case uh, the venture fit. You were uh, you were telling us, uh, David, you would need more ambitious researchers. Is that an easy thing to do? Because researchers like to do research and do not always have entrepreneurial ambitions. C- can you change that? And, and how do you do that? Because today we're here at VU Campus. You have a lot of things going on here. Um, how, how do you do that in Amsterdam? Yeah, that's uh, that's a, a very good question. And uh, um, so it's a cultural change that you have to trigger. And um, the point is, uh, as in all change uh, processes, you will have the swimmers, sinkers, and the floaters. The sinkers are those who will never run with you. So, you know, never swim with you, actually. So let them sink, right? Um, the, this, the swimmers are the one that you can use as role models who can really pull the other to swim. So you have to focus on the floaters. And to make sure that the floaters can start swimming, you have to create space for them at the very early phase of the idea to market process where they can realize how uh, easy it is with the right team and with the right people and with the right structure, infrastructures, how easy it is actually to swim. And uh, this space is really physical space on the one hand, so laboratories where they can experiment uh, where they can, uh, you know, play to be an entrepreneur, an academic entrepreneur, uh, at low risk, and also space in terms of time, uh, but also in terms of psychological cost. Meaning, uh, if you know as a researcher that valorization is not important for your career, well, you know, behavior follows structure. You will probably not dedicate too much time to that. But if you know that actually, by uh, let's say, uh, taking the entrepreneurial way, you can grow into uh, seniority in, uh, within the university career, then you might be more encouraged to do that. So there are a lot of things that we have to create, a lot of circumstances and structure that we have to create to make sure that it becomes almost natural. If you have a good idea, to either bring it to the market yourself together with the right team, or perhaps give it to a colleague who wants to do that. You need a little bit of nature and a lot of nurture? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And swimming lessons. That's right. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. Yeah. But um, through the support that's available to you, uh, and um, um, as an academic, uh, I think the focus still, if you want to advance your academic career, it's still publishing uh, quantity, quality, improving your H index. So how how can we change that system within the university and really reward uh, academics or incentivizing them by rewarding them for activities that create impact? Yeah, there are two two approaches. Um, one is uh, is really happening now with all the uh, recognition and reward program, and, uh, and for instance, the FU is very strong, uh, but many other universities are embracing. Uh, this is really the um, the wish of most universities to abandon a little bit this logic of H index and uh, publications only. And of course, I mean, people who are you know making good publications will be promoted anyway, and so on and so forth. But we have to recognize that uh, valorization is at the same level as of education and research. And therefore, that means that people could make a good academic career if they are good in research, good in teaching, and excellent in valorization. And, and of course, I mean, there could be different combinations, but we have to allow people to get this, uh, this career track. And this is happening, uh, something that actually many universities are implementing in the Netherlands and outside. There's another aspect that I would like to stress and I hope that this, uh, you know, the people who uh, listen to this uh, podcast will take this uh, as an advice. Uh, when I invented my device, this little you know, optical fiber sensor, 
as I said, it was of interest of very, very few people. And uh, if I didn't start my company, probably it would have been used then by, I don't know, 10, 12 people all around the world. But the fact that I did start a company and uh, had a team behind me uh, and with me, that the team goals was to bring this technology all around the world, make it happen. So it, thanks to the process and the startup process, and only thanks to that, nowadays my technology is everywhere in the world, in all countries, well, not all countries, but you know, on all continents, all right? Um, and, and I think Optics 11 recently published that uh, we have more than 500 publications done with instruments of Optics 11. So what you realize is that actually starting a company, if things go well, of course, can become an extremely viable vehicle to bring your invention all around the world. And that's real impact. So that impact gives the same uh, sense of accomplishment and the same uh, buzz, if you wish, to a researcher as much as a publication on nature, in nature, on science. So if we can convey this message that by impacting life of many other researchers, of many other citizens, um, with your research, you can have this sense of accomplishment, I think that a lot of more people will also be intrinsically motivated to do more. Could you sketch out, uh, David, uh, the, the boundaries, let's say, of the role of a university in this? Because it sounds like there's a more to it, a whole ecosystem, let's say, that has to be in place to make a spin-off like this successful. Absolutely. So university, you know, people always uh, look at the valley of death and uh, uh, university shouldn't enter the valley of death. That's my opinion, at least. Uh, university should be very strong in what comes before that. And a lot of people actually neglect this. The fact that from university to the cliff of the valley of death, there is a long path to go. And that is where we have, university have to train researchers to create structure, infrastructure that can help researchers to walk that path. And many researchers will go back. And when we talk about researchers, by the way, we include, of course, PhD candidates and so on. So many of them will actually go back, which is, you know, natural selection. Uh, those who will reach the, the cliff of the valley of death will be better equipped. And they, they have to reach the valley of death equipped well enough to be uh, interesting for the receiving end, the outside world, the entrepreneurs, the venture capital, the business angels. So if you, when you, when you make the startup process, if you create a startup that is strangled by debts because of royalties, because of uh, the university has the shares or whatnot, then the receiving end will most likely not look at that startup with, with, you know, with a lot of uh, interest, let's put it this way. So on the one hand, we need to make sure that universities prepare the startups in the right way, in all terms, including financial terms. On the other, we must make sure to have a receiving end ready to take the next step. And that goes back to what we were saying a few minutes ago, that you also need those entrepreneurs, as well as those business, business angels and, uh, uh, and venture capital that are ready to... It's, it's nice that you call it the receiving end, um, and, and you, you sketch out uh, entrepreneurs, VCs. Um, is there more needed? Because um, uh, let's say what I've picked up in, in your story is that it, it's, it's Hans Brouwer's guiding you. It, that, that's an entrepreneur, but he can not only do the job. It's, it's also the funding side that needs to be involved. My personal experience is that on the business skill end, uh, a lot of these researchers um, are still very vulnerable when they leave the university environment. 
what what would be the typical uh, guidance that they would need uh, next to funding and next to maybe this special entrepreneur that they can find? I think there are two main categories of uh, academic entrepreneurs. One are people like me who start a company together with an entrepreneur, do their job for the first two or three years, and then understand it's time to let the professional take it over. And, uh, you know, you just stay as a shareholder. And then there are the academic entrepreneurs who actually become entrepreneurs and leave the university. Um, I would like mostly to comment on the first one. And on the first one, what we need to teach is that um, entrepreneurship is very much a team sport. So it's not about you. It's not about, you know, when you're a professor, you have this big ego, I always say, and, you know, uh, it's all about you. It's all about uh, how bright you are. Whereas when you have a, an, entrepreneur, an entrepreneurial experience, it's really about the company. And uh, so the coaching on uh, also the psychological aspect that come with that uh, is very important. And also uh, understanding that having an idea is a completely different ball game than bringing an idea to market. The classic sentence of the professor is, oh, I invented this. Everyone will use it. <laughs> Never a minute. I mean, it will take quite a while. Right? And, we have, and the most important thing is the acceptance from the researcher of the fact that business is not the same as research. Uh, of course, for people who actually want to become entrepreneur, the training must be much, uh, uh, much uh, deeper, let's say, and uh, entail uh, all the skills necessary to become actually a business person. And I agree with you, most researchers don't have that at the start, but they can be coached. How important is, the, is it to have role models that have gone through the process before, connected like examples, or showed what the different options are? Yeah, I think uh, it's extremely important to have those role models. Um, and they have to be local role models. Mm -hmm. So, you know, colleagues of yours that you have seen in the corridor that you can knock to their door and say, hey, you know, can you give me the first advice because I have this idea. And, you know, a lot of times you have this uh, funny thing at the universities where the technology transfer office looks like almost is, is, you know, it's trying to stop you, which is never the case, but that's how the researcher perceive it, simply because the technology transfer office is saying, Hey, look, you, we have to have the business people in. This is, again, this is a, a team sport. And, um, and you no, know, the researchers would perceive that as, okay, they want, they want too much from me, mm -hmm. right? They, they, they are, they're actually making the wrong things. And if you have a role model who tells you, you know, I've been there. Actually, this is the way to go. You know, I mean, and try to change. You have to try to change, yeah. not the technology transfer yeah. office. Then that helps a lot. Well, we're, we're Zooming in, or we're closing in, let's say, uh, on the end of our, of our podcast. Um, David, we like to end, let's say, with some practical advice. Um, what would you, let's say, if there's any uh, piece of advice you could give a researcher, what, what would be the advice, let's say, that you would give in a practical sense? Well, I think that, um, I think a lot of times when we close a research activity, uh, we, we stop at the paper, right? Because we think, well, there is nothing more after this paper. And my advice is try to find a, a, a coach or someone who is more into the valorization process. And from time to time, try to discuss, you know, this is what I did. What do you think? Is there any chance to actually move on and, and bring this uh, a step forward towards society? And um, I, I do believe that we have to make an effort to try to do this more often and in a more professional way. And of course, you can do it with a colleague who did it in the past. You can reach out a friend who is a bit in business. 
or of course going to the technology transfer office, but make an effort to think about the impact that you may be able to have by making one step. Not every time it will work, but you know it's sufficient that once you you do it right, and that's going to give you an enormous sense of accomplishment. Thank you very much. I think we've can we could continue for a, a, an hour, let's say, but um, thank you for your time, David, and your your wise advice. Thank you very much. I hope you've enjoyed listening to today's episode. I would like to thank our guest, David Januzzi, joining us today. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever podcast platform you use. We'd love it if you could leave us a review and share it. And if you have any thoughts on today's episode or topics you'd like us to touch on, feel free to email me at istart at imac.nl. Thanks again, and please tune in next time.